Hey y'all, it's Fina 007 back for another movie review podcast. Trying to catch you up on two films that I've seen recently at the British Film Institute. They've been good enough to screen them on preview. The first is the football documentary Diego Maradona by Asif Kapadia, who directed Senna and the Amy Winehouse documentaries. That's out in UK cinemas already. And then the second film I'm going to be talking about today is Blinded by the Light by Bendit like Beckham's Gorilla. It's a film about Asian kids growing up in Luton in the 80s, inspired by Bruce Springsteen, a huge audience favourite at the Sundance Festival this year. And that'll be coming out in the UK and USA in early August. So it's a bit of a preview. Right, so let's start off with Diego Maradona, a movie that has played the Cannes Film Festival earlier this year. It has also played the Sheffield Docks Fest. It's out on release in the UK right now and goes on release in the United States on September 20th, although it looks like it's getting an almost straight to internet release. So perhaps that's a comment on the fact that football, soccer, as Americans would call it, and Diego Maradona are not that popular in the States and it hasn't really found its audience This is a film, as I said, by Asif Kapadia, really solid track record in making these documentaries about iconic popular figures that are collages of found material. So with Ayrton Senna, famously, he had really beautiful footage, home footage of him as a kid. He had footage of him in driver meetings. He got this treasure trove of of footage from F1. And in Amy Winehouse, he had tapes of her. He had video of her in recording sessions. And the the technique he has as a documentarian, unlike people like Nick Broomfield, is not to insert himself physically into the documentary. So you don't see him interviewing people. You don't hear his voice over. And you also don't see talking heads, by which I mean people interviewed on camera. What you sometimes hear is people giving interviews that are heard on top of the the archive footage. And that serves to editorialise. But really how he inserts himself into the film is through his editing and through crafting a narrative. So with Senna, oh, one of the most amazing documentaries, the the enemy, the antagonist is very clearly Alain Prost, the, the French Formula One driver. And in the Amy Winehouse movie, arguably the enemy, the antagonist is her father and the people who are really forcing her onto stage when she doesn't want to perform and she's very clearly very, very ill with her drug addiction. So what happens in Diego Maradona? This is a film very deliberately called Diego Maradona because the idea is that there is the private life of the kid Diego, this this really poor street kid from a slum in Latin America who has this amazing gift for soccer and it propels him to international fame, arguably one of the greatest players of all time up there with Pele. And yet to confront this incredible notoriety and fame, he becomes Maradona. It's a persona, an avatar that he takes on for himself. And sadly, that persona, that avatar is cocky. It's short termist. It's a persona that wants all the women all the time, even though he's got a long term lover that he has kids with. And it's also a persona that is going to fall prey to the worst elements in society. And what the Maradona film does is it shows us Maradona kind of starting off at the height of his fame and then descending really into the depths of depravity. So you start off with his time at Barcelona 
and where he's really targeted by opposition players because they know he's so talented. It's a bit like the football equivalent of body line bowling. And they want to apparently take him out just by like kicking him in the shins and whatnot. He then gets bought by Napoli, Naples, which is one of the poorest cities even today in Europe and somehow seems to have the money for this record-setting football transfer, which clearly has been aided and bettered by the Napoli's mafia. And he gets to Napoli. He's hugely popular with the fans because just as they are underdogs and treated like scum by the rest of the Italians who look down their noses at them, that's kind of the crap that Maradona has had all through his life as a slum kid. So to a certain extent, he becomes this sort of like underdog hero who helps his local team win championship titles and really reach the apex of their fame. But at the same time, he is hanging out with mafiosi and they are supplying him with cocaine and he becomes a horrible addict. Um, playing his match, going out on three, four day benders to strip bars, shagging, taking cocaine, trying to rapidly sober up for the game and doing it again in the next week. And what comes through very powerfully in the documentary is that at some point, Diego realises that he needs to get out of this loop. He doesn't want to play for this club anymore. And the, the management just won't let him go. And I had no idea that this is how it was with football in the 80s, that they had so little rights. And effectively, it's a form of very, very luxuriously quilted slavery because you really are not the master of your own destiny, which is just horrific. Um, what I loved about this documentary is that it does have a lot of found footage. Um, they've discovered this archive of, of video from the 80s, from that period in Napoli. And so you're seeing um, iconic moments of football from the touchline at angles that you don't often see, that you probably haven't seen before. What I also like is the way they treat Maradona's very famous World Cup. And for those of you who are British, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That particular match against England where he, on the one hand, scores his famous illegal hand of God goal, which is just really blatant cheating. Even if he was goaded by the crowd, it's still cheating. And then moments later scores probably one of the greatest goals of all time where he effectively takes the ball, dribbles past about a million players to score. Um, just you know, And you just watch that. And even though you've seen it time and time again, you just think, my goodness, Diego, if you had that much talent, why did you need to cheat? And I think that kind of nicely sums up the whole Diego Mara on a paradox. That said, this film I found personally at 130 minutes is way too long, way too long for all but the most committed football fan. It's just too much for me. I did not need to spend that much time watching Serie A football from the touchlines. And also, in a sense, there's too much football and not enough social commentary, because I think what's interesting about the Maradona story is the entry point that it gives us to the inherent racism and classism within Italy at that time, maybe now, these horrific slurs that the Northern fans give to the Napoli fans, you know, accusing them of being black scum and full of cholera and disease ridden. And even the mere characterization of Diego Maradona as being black, I mean, to most, I don't know, Western European eyes, I didn't think of him as being black, but apparently that is a slur that was thrown at him, which is weird and of course not okay, no matter what color skin you have. And then also this idea of 
Napoli society through to the football club being dominated by mafia money. And I really wanted to see more of that explored and exposed and it just wasn't. And I almost felt like Asif Kapadia as a director was hamstrung a little bit by this huge video archive that he had and that he was just relying on using that rather than maybe doing some interviews with people and getting some talking heads. That would have been interesting. And then I also wondered how easy it was in previous films to vilify someone like Alan Prost or Amy Winehouse's dad and how much harder it is to explore the villainy of maybe mafia members who are still alive and maybe if that were a constraint on his journalism understandably so maybe so I guess Diego Maradona has some fantastic moments and it's hard not to like it in part because the man himself is just so charming and so lovely to watch and take such a joy in life. I mean, just watching him on home video teaching his little daughter how to tell the uh, Inter Milan fans to go F themselves is just a, a purely wonderful moment. That said, I think this film was about 35 minutes too long. And I always judge a film by the kind of book it makes me want to read afterwards because I'm a huge bookworm and in most cases I've loved the film I'm so into the subject I'm looking at the the books that inspired it I want to get more context to enrich my understanding and at the end of this film I kind of felt like I needed a good book on Maradona just to tell me what his life was and that's kind of what the documentary should have done I, I felt like it had barely scratched the surface of what this social environment was in the 80s that enabled this craziness to occur so I have to admit that of Asif Kapadia's films, his documentaries, this is definitely my least favourite. It doesn't mean it's not worth watching, but I definitely think it's more one for the ardent 1980s football fan than the casual observer. And I think that's a real difference, right? Because I think with Senna, whether or not you're an F1 fan, I know lots of people who aren't, but really enjoyed that doc. And I'm not sure that Maradona has quite that same crossover appeal. So that's it for Diego Maradona, a 130-minute documentary by Asif Kapadia out in cinemas now on release in the US on September 20th. Right, let's get into Gurinda Jadda's Blinded by the Light. So this is the director that gave us Bend It Like Beckham, famously, huge hit for Kira Knightley that was her breakout movie. And she also more recently brought us Viceroy's House, which was a period drama set in India at the time of partition when England was um, basically kicked out of colonial rule and the mess it left behind. So she's got real range, right? Because you can do these sort of down and dirty independent movies in England but then she can do the sort of the more glossy although still very politically aware and heightened um, costume drama and actually she's going to be on British TV screens on Sunday with a nine o'clock evening drama series called Beecham House also set in the India of the Raj so definitely worth checking that out. Blinded by the Light however is a very different kind of a film It is based on the memoirs, novelised memoirs of Safraz Manzoor, who's a very, I would say, well-known Pakistani, British journalist, music journalist, cultural journalist. Um, He grew up in Luton in the 1980s and was this geeky kid who wanted to be a writer with very strict immigrant Muslim parents who understandably, right, having scrimped and saved and worked so hard, wanted him to get a sensible job (laughs) as a lawyer or a doctor or an economist and um, you know not pursue the writing so on one level this film is about father-son relationships about how second generation immigrants 
assimilate into British culture and pursue their own dreams while still honouring and respecting their parents and finding that balance between individual freedom and family obligation. It's also a film that is very much about Bruce Springsteen because apparently the real-life Safras um, is a huge Bruce Springsteen fan and at a time in the sort of mid-80s when Springsteen was not massively in fashion, felt very much that his lyrics connected with what he was experiencing in Luton. So this idea of blue collar workers being laid off from jobs and, you know, being constrained from following your dreams by financial pressure and what that does to a man's soul um, is as relatable whether you're in New Jersey or in Luton. And I have to say, when you watch the film and you see the lyrics and you see what's happening as the Vauxhall car plant closes down a Luton, it feels really relevant um, and it works really beautifully. They were apparently lucky. Um, Gurinder Jadda and Safraz met Bruce Springsteen and he gave them the rights to his music, without which this movie uh, just could not exist, I don't think. And it's it's beautifully done. What I would say is that Gurinder Jadda, when she introduced this film at the British Film Institute, made a big deal about it not being a jukebox movie, although in its two hour runtime, it does contain a lot of great Bruce Springsteen songs and I think in a sense it's a shame she resisted that I mean it it works well the lyrics work well as the background to these characters lives but there's definitely a song and dance number at the center of this film where the exuberant hero his best mate Roops and his new girlfriend are sort of you know running through class and then into town and people are sort of dancing around them, but it's not very choreographed. And I just felt that if that had been given the full Mamma Mia treatment and really choreographed well, that could have worked beautifully. So I feel in a sense, it's a film that has held back from itself a little bit and could have done with just embracing its genre a little bit more. The other thing I would say about this film is it is a very raw and you know provocative depiction of what it was to be a second generation in Britain, in Luton in particular, which to this day has a very strong sort of National Front English Defence League white supremacist cohort that are violent and intimidatory towards its Asian population. And all I would say is that this film is being marketed as a feel-good movie and I can see why that's the case. I can see that it is a feel-good movie and I laughed out loud lots at it and I really did, you know, there are beautiful moments amongst the family and the friends and and the lovely neighbour. But for those of you who grew up in this time and era of Britain, or indeed, I don't know, maybe any time and era when there's explicit violent racism, and if that's something that you have experienced in your life and in your family, as I did, because I grew up contemporaneous with these people as an Asian kid in a a town very close to Luton with friends there experiencing this kind of racism, it can be triggering. I was genuinely and profoundly shocked at how emotionally triggered I was by this film. I mean, I was I was howling with tears. I mean, I was crying my eyes out for pretty much the final third of it. Yeah, so it wasn't particularly feel good for me, which doesn't mean it's not a valid film. And in a way, maybe that catharsis, that emotional release says something about the fact that we don't often depict on screen hardcore, violent racism. 
Um, it's something that we a little bit brush under the carpet, I think, with our narrative about this lovely multicultural Britain that, that was somehow overturned by the Brexit vote. It's always been there, this this malevolence, and some of us have lived through it very personally. So I didn't personally think it was a feel-good film. I had a really tough time with it, but I can see how it does work for people who've never experienced racism, parenthesis, white privilege. You can therefore watch this movie as a comedy. I couldn't. Either way, I think it's worth watching. I think it's a really, really intelligent use of Bruce Springsteen's songs and lyrics. There's a lot of love there and a lot of respect there for his work that really shines through. And it's just a beautifully made, low-budget film that I think deserves to be seen. I'd also give a shout-out to Gorinda Jada and her casting directors, Susie Figgis and Kirsty Knir, for finding the young cast, because Vivek Galra, who plays Javed, I think is really fantastic, plays the p- protagonist. I thought Mira Ganatra, who plays his mum in particular, is fantastic. And you also get some really cracking British comedy cameos, including from Rob Ryden, from Sally Phillips, from Marcus Brigstock. I mean, there's, there's some great people in this. Um, I would also say that Hayley Atwell has a small part. And for all of you Game of Thrones fans out there, King Tommen, first of his name and indeed last of his name, is in there as well, playing the best mate of the protagonist. So that's Blinded by the Light. It has a running time of 117 minutes, but it absolutely flew by. It's rated PG-13. It's out in the UK on August 9th and in the United States on August 14th. So I would really encourage you to check it out. It really is a tremendous film, whether or not you're a fan of Bruce Springsteen. And I really hope you love it. As I said before, feel free to reach out if you agree or disagree with my take. And thank you for listening. (laughs) 